Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, Damian Mason. I'm here with a great show again today because I got a great guest. He's a friend of mine and an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. This guy started from pretty well nothing. He's a 65-year-old man still looking at his next venture. His name is Chuck Homeyer. Mr. Homeyer, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. It's my honor, sir. All right. So I just gave a nice little intro about you. You're from my hometown. You went to Indiana University, and you have one hell of a story to tell. Give it to me. Well, we started out uh, doing truckload sales a long, long time ago. I came from, my parents were in the auction business, and, and uh, from that we developed the truckload sale concept sort of by accident. Uh, we had too much inventory, needed some money, so we went out and tested it. Happened to work pretty well, so we just expounded upon that and uh, did that for about uh, 30 years. Uh, and then uh, we sold part of it off, closed some of it down when the Millennial Depression hit us. And uh, I was going to retire, and my daughter said, well, I don't think that's going to work. She just graduated from IU. And so um, so we now are in the discount fashion business. We buy truckloads uh, of all the top brands in fashion that you'd see at a department store, and then we remarket those online and in a retail store, and we're going to start doing truckload sales again uh, with clothing here in the next within the next year. Okay, so you're uh, it's the nineteen uh, it's the nineteen seventies. You're a recent graduate from college, and what are you doing at that time? You're in the auction business. I was in the auction business. I worked for a public accounting firm for about six months because my major was in accounting, and I realized that I'd probably kill somebody if I had to stay in that business. So uh, so I ditched that idea had a degree and uh you know just uh just worked in my parents business for quite a while until we saw this opportunity and uh took advantage of it all right so for those that are listening what's a truckload sale oh i'm sorry a truckload sale is where we go into a market for three to four days and we advertise heavily in the local market take our goods into a fairgrounds armory coliseum and uh, sell the goods direct to the retail customer, bypassing all the middlemen and all the people uh, in between. Uh, we were direct importers uh, of the goods, so we had the absolute lowest price. I was one of the first guys to go in there because everybody else was scared to go to China. Uh, and, and so we, we opened up a lot of new opportunities. So this really started in the what year? Early 80s, mid 80s? I'd say about 80, 80, 81, to that <clears throat> time period. Yeah, that's when it all started. So started you go and bring, you were the original guy bringing over cheap, cheap crap from China. You'd stick it on uh, in a warehouse, then you'd put up these trucks and then uh, put out flyers. So appearing in the uh, Oklahoma City State Fairgrounds uh, is going to be the titload sale. And you're there for four days selling crap. Yeah, and actually the quality was really, really good in the beginning because they didn't know how to make anything but good stuff. And then unfortunately, (laughs) a lot of us went over there and told them how to cheat on items. And we had a plan that if it was an item for for hard use, we didn't cheat on it. But if it was an item that was just going to go in the trunk of your car and you was going to use once or twice, we did we did lower the 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 quality of the steel or whatever. So we're talking know. wrenches. We're talking what other kind of stuff? Uh, wrenches, uh, bench grinders, uh, all kinds of electrical tools, uh, power tools. Uh, drill presses, you know, anything you'd use as a tool in a consumer line. So you did pretty well, uh, really well for a long, long time going and doing these truckload sales all over the United States of America. Yeah, we went to all 48 of the continental United States uh, and did really, really well because we were the first in it. And that's what I like about businesses. When you're the first one in it, 
uh, the competition is somewhat diminished. And at that time, our competition was hardware stores, which were very high priced. Well, then there's the other challenge, though. When you're the first one in it and then everybody sees that you're making money, then you get uh, people that are well-capitalized cheaters and followers and copycats. You know, MySpace was once uh, the the only uh, social media. And where are they now? Obviously, it doesn't exist. So is that what happened well, what, what happened to us was uh, we, we always did well. Nobody was able to do the truckload sales like we could because we were like the FedEx. We had to have everything there at a certain time at a certain place. It, it couldn't be late because the next sale was starting, and so the product had to be there ready to sell. And uh, what, what really hurt us was more than anything the millennial depression. When, and we, that's what we call it. It's a depression. We don't call it a recession and, uh, because it affected everybody. You're talking about 2008, 2009. Yeah. Well, actually, it hit us about 2005. We saw it coming in 2005. You started selling less stuff. Your trucks are at the Oklahoma State Fairgrounds or the uh, wherever, uh, you know, somewhere in, in uh, Kansas or Indiana or Ohio or wherever you happen to be. You got these trucks going all over the United States of America. At one point, did you have how many sales going on at the time? Like three or four? We, no, we had, uh, depending on the time period, we had 18 to 22 crews on the road at any one time around the United States. Okay, setting up their tents and being out there and doing these truckload sales. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in 2005, it starts slowing down. Yeah, we, we saw a, a drop-off, and it was, uh, it was when fuel prices started going up because our sales were all based on disposable income. So when people's disposable income went down, they had less money to spend because we were only there for four days in a whole year, and, and so it was kind of based on the cash they had at hand. And our customer was a middle to lower middle class customer who used tools a lot. And when that diminished, uh, we saw our sales go down. Actually, we would see when when the price of fuel would go up by 10 percent, two weeks later, we would see our sales go down by 5 percent. And we graphed that and saw that happening right during the whole time it was in process. All right. So there it is. It's 2005 to 2010. Uh, things are getting bad because the lower, like you said, the middle income to lower lower income folks are your, your bread and butter. They come out and spend what any idea what your average customer spend was yeah it was around 45 dollars. okay so they come out and buy a tarp and a couple of wrenches and maybe a a a cheap electro Mm -hmm. cheap cheap power tool Mm -hmm. 45 bucks and so the kind of person that's doing that is really hit hard when all of a sudden the uh you know me and you maybe aren't hurt as hard as uh that person so your customer starts to really struggle your business struggle when did you decide you had to make a change we started in in about 2000 and first of 2005 when we first saw it happening we started cutting down the number of crews and and obviously weeding out markets that weren't as profitable historically and by 2007 we were shutting everything down but the problem is in that two-year time frame you're cutting down crews which means you're also cutting down revenue because while you're getting less spend per customer at the oklahoma state fairgrounds or wherever this person happens to be this customer you've got less customers because you've got less shows going on which means you got less revenue yeah we were bleeding like a stuck hog man i mean it was ugly and uh Matter of fact, a banker friend of mine said that he was amazed at not the success we had in business when we were really profitable, but the fact that we were able to survive and continue doing business when it was all over. Okay, so I always talk to business people, self-employed, small biz, entrepreneur types. That's who listens to the Do Business Better podcast. And we all we all have been through, and, and I say this all the time. For me, I think it's about work ethic, because in my book, I say that there's the four pinnacles, uh, the four base foundational items that make you successful. They are traits, if you will. They are... Uh, your success traits. Risk tolerance, drive, resilience, vision. Risk tolerance, drive, and ambition, resilience, vision. Which one do you think defines you? 
You're a risk taker. I'm a risk taker, but you're driven, and, and I'm tolerant because I lived through the millennial depression. <laughs> you obviously you're resilient. Uh, you're resilient yeah. because you you've been up and yeah. down, and then vision long but, long term. But you have to have vision, but that changes over time. I think sometimes that's overrated because your vision can change based upon outcomes that you see and point and point in life. You're 65 yeah. now. It was different when you were 30. Yeah, except I I work probably almost as many hours as I did when I was 30. Uh, and, and I have fun at it, you know, but yeah, in business, you have to work hard. Like, just like you said earlier, that's the key. There's people smarter than me. There's people that got luckier than me. There's people that there's always somebody that's better than you in that. The only thing you can really control is how hard you work and how smart you work. If you can control those two things, I think most anybody can be successful depending on the level they're at. So when was rock bottom? 07, 08, 09? Uh, 07 was probably rock bottom once the financial crisis hit and we did use financed money because uh, we were growing at 28% a year throughout the whole business cycles. And So your business was growing 28% through the 90s and the early 2000s and then things are going bad. Now, how many employees did you have at the, at the peak? I had 450 at one time, not all in Huntington, but around the country doing these truckload sales. Sure, absolutely. And then we got down as low by, you know, the, when we got into the teens, we got as low as like five people, I think, you know. Okay, so you were still, were you still sitting on inventory? Yeah, we still have some of that tool inventory left we're selling off. When I when I sold off the businesses, I, I sold it to a to a Chinese trading company and some of the inventory they just didn't want. And so some of the inventory we still had, and so we've been selling that off, still continuing to sell some of that off. All right, so you were sitting on boatloads of material, all kinds of stuff. You you got the the bankers are, are coming after you because you've got borrowed money against all your inventory, and you're laying off people, you're cutting expenses. Like you said, you're bleeding like a stuck pig. What, what what did that look like? Well, it was ugly. <laughs> it was a lot a lot of nights uh, waking up at two o'clock in the morning and saying, "What the heck am I going to do?" But you know, it just had to be resilient. We still, I mean, we lost a lot of money. There's no argument about that. But all my peers lost a lot of money too. But we we came out of it and we're fine. And you know, we've got plenty of capital and plenty of assets to to go forward. But it was it was awfully ugly during that time because you didn't know. It was the it was the unknown that you can't control that really caused me all the stress. Yeah, that's everybody's listening to this if they whether they're self-employed or have 450 employees it goes through that when things are tough you you go you go to sleep because of exhaustion but you wake up somewhere between 2 and 4 in the morning and fester. And I, I mean I suffer from that sometimes and I've suffered through that when things were bad for me. My my worst time was a uh, big business change from 01 to 05 and I say, you know, you're talking about three and a half, four 4 years there where you think, what the hell am I going to do? Because the days seem longer. The day, the weeks seem longer. The nights obviously are long because you're not sleeping. When did you start seeing the daylight? Uh, we started seeing the daylight after I closed everything down in 2007. We tried to uh, reinvigorate that same plan with using some different ideas and cost-cutting things, and that didn't work. So uh, we never really did see a turnaround in the truckload tool sale business. But uh, when my daughter... Uh, got out of IU, she decided that I wasn't going to retire because that was my plan at the time. And so we've got now involved in this uh, new business where we buy fashion. Yeah, top, so when did, that, when, did, when did this fashion thing start? Five, six years ago? Uh, it started about 2006, I think it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's been a while. So, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2016. My apologies. Okay. Time go. flies when you get old, you know. <laughs> uh, 2016 is when we started it. And uh, we took a couple years to just get to learn the business better and to get our processes in place. And 2018 was really our breakout year. And 
uh, we we think this can be a huge business. Okay, so the idea there is you uh, you obviously understand logistics. You obviously you you you're good with getting materials. You can warehouse stuff. You can truck stuff. That's what your background was. So now it's uh, uh, some sort of ladies' fashion mostly, right? Yep, absolutely. And uh, my daughter actually owns the company. I sold everything to her, and uh, well, when I retired, I sold everything to her, thinking I wouldn't have to work. Uh, as much but i'm frankly working as much as i did before but i'm having fun at it she actually makes a lot of the decisions now and you know by her sitting around the dinner table for all the years she was at home she learned an awful lot about doing business and how to do business and how not to do business and how to do business better which is the name of this podcast and the name of my book in case you're listening and you're saying wait a minute damon you have a book out of course you know that dear listener this is my little commercial break for the podcast to push my book do business better available on amazon barnesandnoble.com also you can call me or or email me, Damien at DamienMason.com, or office at DamienMason.com for a bulk order. I'd sell you boxes and boxes. As I make the point, every time I make a, a big statement on social media, then somebody will be a wise apple and say, you're just saying that because you have a book to sell. I always correct them, Chuck. I say, no, I don't have a book to sell. I have thousands of books to sell. <laughs> All right. Chuck Homeyer is my guest talking about his company, which was begun of humble beginnings. What did you do right at the beginning? What I did right was I spoke of it earlier is I worked harder than everybody else. I, I, did, I just didn't stop. I never stopped working. Um, and there's people that work all their life really hard and never make it. So you got to have a little bit of luck, but, and you got to be prepared. Uh, and I had those, I, I was prepared. I felt like I was pretty prepared, but a little bit of luck, always watching for the new opportunities in front of you and not being afraid to change your model when it's not working and uh so adaptability you're saying that you got the what you did right was you adapted yep absolutely and and some would say well not soon enough hell you had you went through two years of bleeding three years of bleeding you didn't adapt soon enough but a lot of people that would say that have never been through it or they think it's easier to to change uh lanes and change gears faster than this you know like i said my struggles uh if someone would say well why did it take you so long well you get really good at doing one thing, and then, you know, I always talk about reinvention. Reinvention takes longer than people realize. That's absolutely true. And the first thing you, you always try to do, I'm sure you're no different, you try to fix it. You say, <laughs> it must be something I've done wrong. And so you make all the model changes and the different changes in what you're doing and how you're reacting to things. And then once you figure out that's it's, it's nothing you're doing wrong, it's something that's outside your ability to control – then you then you start the process of cutting back on your your asset needs. Yeah. So what's what's the, the old thing? Of course, is you know the definition of insanity: doing the same thing repeatedly with the expectation of a different re- outcome. Well, I know that, and sometimes what we do is we double down on one thing that worked really well. We make tweaks over here to B, C, and D, but we st- stick with A, and it turns out that A was the problem sometimes. Yeah, that that's very true. And ironically, the thing that probably hurt us as much as anything was when the internet came out. Everybody went to China because it was an open world. And customers started buying more off the internet. And so that became somewhat of a, a, a negative for us. And now in the new business, that's a positive because now you're using the internet. We're using the internet. Yeah, in the old days, you were you were the outlet. You you went and got stuff. You got uh, goods that were usable goods at a very affordable price and brought it to a consumer base that had no other means of getting it. And it's sort of uh, the internet democratized that. They didn't need your truckload sale. They could just log on. This is what retailers are dealing with. Just today, just today, I noticed online because I always keep up with business headlines. Dress Barn, a retailer, which of course I've never been to, but. 
Dress Barn. Presumably, That's probably good. Presumably sells dresses, <laughs> right? Uh, dress Barn uh, closing all of their outlets, which I think they said is about 600 and some outlets. So this is not happening just to Chuck Holmeyer and the tent sales. It's a reality of retail. It is. And uh, in general retail, everybody's closing their stores because just what you talked about. Now, in the case of the what we call off-price, which is the business we're in with clothing, we're in the off-price market. And that business is growing, like the TJ Maxx's, the Marshall's, that, those type of stores. They're just growing every day because the value is so great compared to what you can buy it for in other in other venues online that they're still growing really fast and so that's why we see a great opportunity on the internet and in the retail in the retail brick and mortar so we said since we're talking about the personality you know the folks that listen to this the people that read my books the people that are in my audiences they they, you know they're business people they're they're small business people they're big business people whatever they are and they i think always need to look at themselves because we are after all a product you and me are a product and uh, we got to look at ourselves like a product i said what'd you get right what was right about Chuck Comeyer and you said you did uh, adapt and you said you worked harder and you worked smarter what'd you do wrong well, what I what I did wrong where was your product wrong yeah, and where were you wrong yeah, what what I, what I did wrong was not recognizing the market quickly enough mm-hmm. because I kept trying to fix it uh-huh. and had I adapted a little quicker to that I would have been I would have been in a better position but but frankly, it was the economic environment around me that that really caused a lot of problems because when the bank crisis hit, uh, things got really ugly, and so I, I wasn't able to liquidate my inventory fast enough. And part of that was I, I in 2005 when we started seeing it, had we liquidated then before the crisis really hit, we'd have been in a better position. So. It, it's kind of a catch-22. You don't want to react too quickly to situations because 99% of the time you can fix them. It's that 1% of the time when it bites you. Yeah, there's that thing that I, I can always point out that uh, I'm not big on having formal business plans because they're supposed to be good documents that are, are, that are good for 5 to 10 years. And I'm like, who in the hell would know what's going to happen 5 and 10 years from now? Uber did not exist 5 years ago. Now it's uh, a tremendously successful company, if you will. Um but you 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 can't say I want a five or ten year plan. But you also can't say, oh crap, it was a bad day. I'm changing gears. Oh, it was a bad day. I'm changing gears. Because then you're never sticking with it. So what's your feel about timing? Like, do you, do you just go by what your gut tells you? We put a five year plan together because that gives a long term vision for everybody. But then we really react on a weekly, daily basis to the to the current surroundings. You know, we've been able to double our business in this new business every year just because of the fact that we're not afraid to make changes. We're not afraid to to bounce on the bottom. Banks love five-year plans. They love three-year plans. They they love one-year plans. And we do it for them as much as anything because they love that stuff. Yeah, you know, I always point out that bankers don't like to change how they do business. Uh, While you and I are here talking about our adaptability and our need to be versatile, uh, they thought the drive-up window was a neat concept. I mean, shit, that's been, what, 50 years ago. So uh, business plans, as I say, you need business plans to borrow money. You don't need a formal business plan to make money. When you look at businesses, Chuck, what do, as a customer, as 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 a person that is supplier, vendor, or customer... What do most businesses get wrong? What do you see that grates on you? I think they don't listen closely enough to the customer. They like their model. They like their idea. And when they don't listen to the customer and ask the customer questions, they tend to fail because they're so in love with their concept 
they're not willing to adapt. Yeah, it's the old thing about when you when you're the customer and you have a boatload of oper- of other options, and then you say this isn't right, and they say, well, we did it this way because, and you say, well, I, I don't I don't really give a damn why you did what you did. I'm the one that's paying the money here, and I can tell you that that's not going to be satisfactory. The cust- we always say the customer is the boss. You know, we're 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 servants <laughs> to the customer in a way because if we don't give them the greatest customer service and the fastest delivery and the best product at the lowest prices, like you said, they can go any place they want. Everybody and their sister that's in business tries to say that they're uh, that they're about service, and I say, well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but we do ultimately all work for other people because it's their money that you're going to come into. But you're 65; it's it's normal to get a little jaded. You've been out here hustling for 40 some odd years. Do you get jaded? I think you can't help but that. That's why my daughter's involved, because she's younger, and so she doesn't have that jading effect that I might have. She's not pissed off at the world yet? Not yet. <laughs> you, deal, you deal long enough, it's going to happen, right? Okay, so uh, my, my last couple of questions. If I gave you, I ask every entrepreneurial-minded person this, if I could pull four more hours out of the sky and hand it to you, just four more hours per week, every week, Chuck gets four hours that nobody else gets. How do you spend those four hours? I'd spend those four hours working on how to increase sales because everything revolves around sales. I'd find out what the customer wants that we're not providing and how we can provide it better. If you had a piece of idea, an idea, a piece of advice, uh, an insight to share with anybody that anybody in business can learn from, whether they're uh, like me, that's kind of self-employed, you know, with one employee kind of, or somebody has a thousand employees, what's the piece of advice you give them and information that you've learned in your 45 year uh, track record? Work harder than everybody else in your industry. Never give up and don't be afraid to make change. This is the Do Business Better podcast. Chuck Homeyer has been my guest. You can uh, you can check out this, obviously, at the Do Business Better podcast. It's available on DamienMason.com. You can also find my book at DamienMason.com. I appreciate you listening. Until next time, thank you, Mr. Homeyer, for being on here. It's my honor, sir. Thank you very much. Till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast. 